Oh, fuck, my bad. Now we're good. Yeah! <laughs> Alright, that's it. That's, it. <laughs> that's your ad loop, dude. Yeah. Alright, all right. hey, let's welcome everybody to the pod. Live from Baltimore, where we land. We have to be the seven after that one. Oh, fuck, my bad. Not good. Yeah! <laughs> Alright, that's it. That's it. So that's your ad lib, dude. Yeah. Alright, all right. hey. Let's welcome everybody to the pod. Live from Baltimore, Wearyland, where you have to be perceptive about your surroundings. We're the art pros. We're the baddest artists in Baltimore, Wearyland. The yeah, baddest. We're pretty bad. Um, today, we're going to talk about a really important topic, especially if you're a creative or just a person Perception. Perception. Perception is defined by Webster's and Oxford Dictionary as, um, well, I don't actually know. But today we're going to define it the way the art pros are going to define it. The way we see perception is, for me, the five senses. Uh, Hearing, smelling, uh, Bruce Willis... Uh, Haley Joel Osment. I don't know where I'm going with this. <laughs> That's the sixth sense. Yeah, Is my it? grandma. My grandma has a sixth sense for what? Um, like spirits. And... Oh, that's that's cool. Yeah, you know. Yeah, that she's, makes sense. She's connected. She's got a third eye. Yeah, but a I'm... sixth sense. You no, not like not like Tony Hawk. Not like oh. a sick sense. <laughs> oh, okay. But um, yeah. All right, so perception for me is using your six senses to observe the world around you. But also perception is that observation. Specifically in the art world, someone's perception of you or your work is really important and I think that's what artists tend to be trying to mitigate when they make art is people's perception of their work and people's perception of, of themselves and of others. So you're pretty much saying that uh, people artists' perception of themselves is sharp to the point where they get insecure about things, their art and and is that what you mean? Yeah, sort of. It's also kinda like like, the, your perception of yourself is going to... That's really what your art is if you're making art about yourself or art that's, like, self-reflective. Is It's not actually going to accurately represent you. It's just going to represent your perception of yourself. Your observation of your, of your own face. Like, you make a self-portrait. Maybe you're using charcoal because you feel kind of dirty. Or <laughs> you're feeling fire. You're feeling lit. Sorry, I'm doing the thing you do. <laughs> You're supposed to talk like that, and then I talk like this. The thing, I, I didn't even notice. Well, you know? I mean, you have to perceive that. Ah, see, for it's hard. My, my perception is hard to control, and I'm going to uh, blame my, my letters, my ADHD letters that I uh, have earned. <laughs> is that like a BFA? <laughs> <laughs> Went to school for it, bud. <laughs> yeah, I got it. Um, all right, I guess we should jump right into it. 
dive in. Yeah, let's 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 uh, do a kickflip with our sick senses. Yeah, sick. The sick. We have the. This is art pros. We have the sickest senses on the planet. Dude, we're gonna kickflip over all these other art podcasts, all these other regular comedy podcasts. This is not a regular comedy podcast. Yeah, we're the most arrogant comedians on the <laughs> internet because we're yeah, so yeah. sick. Yep. Maybe we, fuck, fuck doing an episode on perception. We just talk, we should just talk about how sick we are. That's how we perceive ourselves right now. I'm feeling good. Episode seven. I'm feeling fine. I, you know, uh, what was I gonna say? Uh, uh, shit, dude. You were gonna tell the interns to pause the podcast and go go look at yourself in the mirror. Perceive yourself for a second. Notice that mole on your back and on your face. They're both beautiful. If that's how you perceive them. Yeah. Flex. Flex on yourself, you know? So, uh, the, the, the shitty part about perception is that it is really only observable qualities. So, like, if we're going to talk about how you perceive other people or perceive art, it's really only that's where the intent of either a person or an object becomes irrelevant because it's all about the perception of someone else. So, like, perception is really external. And I think about how people perceive me every day like you know you wake up in the morning you got to get dressed what lululemon leggings am i gonna wear the black ones the ones with the pattern the blue ones the uh, ones that are like capri length it's hard to it's hard to choose how long does my turtleneck make my neck look (laughs) does does this turtleneck make me look (laughs) p-h-a-t so i got a question a legit question for you gage you're the smart one i'm more like donkey from shrek (laughs) <laughs> yeah. So I ask you all the, the meaningful questions. So perception is, um, is it sub, uh, is what's the distinction between subjective perception and objective perception is perception like the umbrella or like, what's the connection? How does that uh, chemical bond work? I've always felt like an objective perception is impossible and just something that people Like, when you say, like, oh, I have an objective viewpoint on this subject, or, like, I I can look at this without my personal biases affecting it, like, I think that's a lie and something that people normally use to, like, try and justify some something that they're saying that might be offensive. Okay. So, like, like, like someone might say that your computer or a camera can make an objective perception of you, but we all know that different cameras have different quality lenses, um the lens flare you could edit that photo in photoshop or like like us you know people might think that the mic is getting an objective it's perceiving our voices and allowing them to perceive our voices in an objective way but really this mic isn't quality enough to perceive just how smooth and (laughs) sultry we are so um i know one thing that's objective gauge I know that we have the most accessible art conversation podcast on the internet right now. What does accessible mean? Accessible means uh, what, you know, you don't have to be an artist to listen to this. You definitely have to be over 18 because we talk about some pretty spicy umami topics. Yeah. Or you could perceive it that way. Right. So um, I don't care. I don't care what anyone says. It's objective to me. Let's talk more about objectiveness. (laughs) Objectivity objectivity is like super hard it is isn't it um so okay here's my thoughts on that my thoughts on objectivity are that um oops there's a few things that i think that we as a society can agree upon 
And I think that in itself is the root of being able to righteously try to call something objective. And I agree with you for the most part that I think I've always had this issue with objectivity where I was like, you know, that, it, it seems impossible. Yeah. Because your eyesight is different than my eyesight, and it's different than the old lady's eyesight down the street. It's, it's different than the, the newborn baby in the hospital um, down the highway. So to me, that's like, all right, so how can you be objective if those things are like, I can't even describe to you what the color red looks like to me. Yeah. But in that description, in the, that conversation of what is red, if you put down a red card in front of both of us, given that neither of us are colorblind, see, there's an argument about what I'm what about to say, we can both pretty much as close to objective as you can agree that that card in front of us is red. Yeah, we can we could agree on that. But again, I bring it back to the argument. What if you're colorblind? So that's also us agreeing that that's red doesn't make the card red. Like that doesn't make it truth. And I think like the thing about objectivity and like if you're for example like a, a circuit court judge or like you're like a police officer or you're someone who holds any authority about finding the truth, like a scientist, like your entire goal is to try and become as objective as possible. And we all still, I think every person on the planet still struggles with that. With uh, agreeing upon things in general? or I think with just like seeing what the truth is. Like objectivity, I think. Like to know if something's like an objective perception, you would need... You would need to know the truth. And we like, there probably isn't even a truth. Oh, yeah, because I think that... There may be a misconception that truth is uh, truth and objectivity uh, go hand in hand. Oh, you don't think that they do? I always felt like they did. I don't believe. I don't believe that's true at all. I think that um, truth is inherently. Hmm, this is tricky. I'm sliding down a slope right now. I opened up a Pandora. <laughs> I, I opened up a Pandora's can. Pantera's box. <laughs> <laughs> so okay, the reason why I think that objectivity and truth don't necessarily go hand in hand is uh alludes back to what i was just saying um for something to be truthful i think that it has to be agreed upon by more than one individual at least yeah we could work together to come to a conclusion yeah uh and that to me is also the only way for something to realistically be called objective is truth objectivity no because things can be called objective that somebody else might not necessarily think is true so well let's let's I guess, tricky, provide dude. an example i think i just thought my brain into a knot <laughs> <laughs> let's uh let's provide an example of like what a subjective perception would be okay uh i think red is the best color yeah, so, like, like in this analogy, it'd be, like, if someone put down a red card and then asked, like, rate this card out of 10. Yeah, that's so, subjective. Okay, so, objectively, we could both agree that it's red, but you think it's, like, you know, like, a 9 out of 10. I'm thinking it's, like, a 2 out of 10. Mm-hmm. Yeah. 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 Cool. Sub subjective is, like, uh, rooted in opinion. Yeah, okay. For the most part. Do you, like, so, what do you think is more important in uh, in artwork? I don't think you can decide between objectivity and subjectivity for importance. 
I think that that is what makes artwork amazing and interesting is that they can be both. Oh, so like objectively, you could draw a really good coffee cup, but subjectively, you might not. Like you could draw like a coffee cup like really well. Um, it looks like a coffee cup, but then someone might be like, well, I prefer coffee cups that look like dragons. And if you were to somehow make an art piece that made that coffee cup feel like a dragon, like that would be better. But then we could disagree on which one is a better drawing of a coffee cup. So what is it is, what can we define (laughs) in art that can be uh, objective? Well, I think like quality of joinery i think <laughs> <laughs> like how, how well put together is your object that's such a dad thing to say man some woodworking people, some people use screws when they could use glue or none at all yeah like japanese people that yeah if some you, japanese people <laughs> every japanese person it's just <laughs> a really amazing did you know i was watching uh i was watching a uh, facebook vox video and they said every japanese person does woodworking and they said that every japanese person knows how to woodwork really good they make their own chopsticks and they yeah and they said all all japanese people are smarter than everyone and live longer than everyone and their animation is supreme and that is objectively wrong folks for me to have said that yeah i guess (laughs) (laughs) there like there's people who are uh like free speech advocates who you know are fighting for their right to like say the n-word or whatever they are complaining about all the time Okay, we're they want free speech without consequences. I think we're getting a little divergent of the topic. What is objective in art? Is, is it possible? <laughs> is it possible? You see, it's difficult to talk about. Um, okay, so objectivity in art. Objectivity in art. What is objective in art? Is there? Is it even possible? Is it? I mean, I'm biased. I obviously have an opinion on objectivity. I don't think. I think it's a, a little binary. If you will, because objectivity is pretty much yes or no yeah. type of question. Yeah, I guess. And yeah. when you live in that realm, you're limiting yourself to the other possibilities in art. Yeah, you'd have to you'd have to open it as wide as to be like, like, all right. Like the only objective questions you could even ask, still you could never be objective. Like I, I the first thing that came to my mind was like, is it an art piece? But then that's like a whole fucking rabbit hole. Yeah, we're looking at we're looking at Duchamp in that situation. One of the, probably the most influential artists of the type of artwork people are making now. He's the guy that did the uh, the urinal. He put a urinal in a gallery and then um, I think upside down and then like mm-hmm. signed it as a fake name. It's kind of upside down. I think it was just on its like back or something. Whatever. Yeah. He put R Mutt on it. I think that it, it. I I honestly really love it. It's hard not to. Yeah, it's really cool. It's funny. It's like it's yeah. also a really well-made object, like not by him, <laughs> by like, but by the industry, I guess, in France at the time. Like the toiletters, like, yeah. What do you call those? Is porcelain toilet artisans? Toilet artisans. That's what I wanted to be when I was a kid. Um, There's good money in plumbing. So okay, I think so. In art, for something, for us to have a conversation in art that can be labeled as objective, um, it's kind of boring that I, now that i think more about it because oh, so yeah because to me if something in art was uh to be objective it would be saying like 
Oh, the size of an art piece? That's, yeah, exactly. Yeah, that like type of thing. Like, all right, so this thing's like 14 inches by 17.9 inches. Mm-hmm. And let's say uh, we're looking at some Renaissance art. Let's, we're looking at the Statue of David. We're looking at uh, his, his form. He's standing. That's kind of objective. He's definitely not sitting down. It's made out of marble. It's definitely... If you if you want to test it out to see if it's actually made out of marble and it's made out of marble, that's objectively marble. Yeah. Um, and then uh, within that, we can we can unpack that art term. Unpack. Well, not, <laughs> not necessarily just art. I heard that a lot in theory classes. But if oh, we I unpack that more, vacation. unpack. If we unpack that more, <laughs> we can deduce that um, we. Our objectivity is constrained by our perceptions. And our six senses. Yep. So, like, we would feel that marble and be like, okay, this feels um, smooth to me. And then there, that becomes subjective. Like, that's mm-hmm. that's literally the threshold between an objective observation and a subjective observation. Yeah. And it's still going to come down to, like, your actual, like, quality of eyesight, your, your you know, feeling your ability to feel, your ability to smell. Like, what does marble smell like? Like, yep. you can't even make an objective... Well, we can't make an objective description of that. Maybe there's, like, a smell pewter out there that could, like, smell that, you know, the Statue of David and be like, oh, yeah, this smells like Fermunda cheese. But if you want to see, the more you try to go down that hole, it starts to delve into the realm of science. Like, look at Joseph Albers. He tried to objectify the usage of colors he discovered that putting one color next to another color made your perception of the colors different yeah that you could put the same tone and hue of green next to different tones and hues of other colors and that your perception of that color of green will change despite being the exact same tone. Mm-hmm. And for those who don't know, Joseph Albers is a painter slash researcher scientist man who painted just squares recently. Re, uh, he painted a square within a larger square, and the larger square was one color, and the square inside was another color. Sometimes he would do multiple squares, but his goal was to see how colors uh, reacted with each other through your visual perception of them. Yeah, and he wrote a really great book, Interns, that you could check out if you're like a painter. Harry Potter and the Sorcerer's Stone. Yeah, and then his other book, The Interaction of Color, where he like breaks everything down into um, like different activities you can do to see how color is affected. He's basically like the Bill, like Bill Nye the Color Guy. <laughs> he's, he's pretty dope. Yeah, so... And even that, even that is hard to objectify solely based on the fact that we all have different amount amounts of color receptors and lightness and darkness receptors in our eyes those are called rods and cones people with color blindness have a different way of perceiving color than somebody who may have a ton of rods a ton of cones or whatever it is they may be some people might see more vibrant colors because they have different amounts of those rods or cones some people might see less vibrancy in colors do you remember gauge the meme about that dress that big yeah, controversy that, about whether it? it's like white white or blue or gold or blue or something like yeah, that yeah it was like i think it was like whether it's blue and and white or like yellow and 
gold. I don't remember it, but yeah, I remember the dress. Yeah, there's so many different things that are. We'll post a picture on our Instagram. Yeah, of Gage wearing it. Yeah, I'll be in it. <laughs> <laughs> but that's that's what we're saying. So today we're not going to really be talking too much about objective objective perception. We're really going to focus on subjective perception. So things like fashion people's perception of maybe your your art career people's perception of you based on how you present yourself so like some people you know there's that old saying dress for the job you want not the job you have but if you you know if you show up to subway in a suit you might get fired because they you know have a strict clothing policy so that doesn't work all the time but when you when you wake up in the morning runs like do you think that you you keep other people's perception of you in your head and like why would you do that when you're choosing how you're going to present yourself yeah first and foremost i decide on my perception of myself Mm. because it is definitely there's definitely something to how you dress and how people will receive you if i walked out that door wearing a banana suit it would be way different and, and went to work in that banana suit uh people might find it funny people might be confused whereas if i wore some super hot slacks i was wearing my vvs watch i was wearing my uh my hermes uh purse um you know supreme t his oculus rift yeah wearing an oculus rift people are gonna look at me i'm gonna break some necks people are gonna be turning around and looking like dang who's that dude wearing the yeezy boosts that boy knows how to write an email yeah, he's popping off on fashion. Yeah. yeah, that boy knows how to write an email. He's writing it on his Oculus Rift, waving his hands in the air. <laughs> That's crazy, you know? Yeah, so every day you wake up and you choose how you're going to be perceived. And not only that, you take into account, and I think everyone does this, or if you don't, it's probably pretty hard to exist in, in modern society. You wake up and you take into account what you perceive other people's perceptions are and how you're going to fit into that. So, like, like you said... You wake up and you're like, I'm not going to wear a banana suit today Mm-mm. because I'm going into, you know, an office environment. Mm-hmm. And if I go in, in a banana suit, they're going to think that I'm not up to the task. And that's irrelevant when compared to whatever task you need to do at work that day. It's, it really shouldn't make an effect on your ability to do your job. Mm-hmm. But, you know, you want people to be able to also have faith in you to do that job. And that's why perception is so important. So, like, I go to a foundry every day. I can't wake up and show up. Well, I've shown up in, in like Nike slides before, but I change into boots and I can't wear like short shorts and a Speedo to work because, you know, people are going to see me and think he's not going to be able to do his job that well. And to an extent, that's true. Like I'm around fire and like like big heavy tools all the time. Yeah. And big studs of men. They're going to be like distracted. Yeah, beat me up. Yeah. They're yeah. going to, they might ask you out. Yeah. And I don't want that because that like, like their perception of me shouldn't affect you know, my comfort or my ability to do my job, but it will certainly affect their ability to do their job. Yeah, you don't want them getting distracted like, damn, who's this Who's this hunk getting injured? Yeah, they'll be that able to tell that. could affect their family. Yeah, they don't want to know that I'm an arm wrestling champion outside of the workplace. No? They might challenge me and get embarrassed, and even though they are a superior to me in the workplace, you know, catch me at the bar. Let's they're, arm wrestle. They're not superior to your biceps and a pec strength and delts, dude. Yeah. No. Do you think triceps matter in an arm wrestling? I think your whole core and upper body, I think it, it a lot of it does have to do with your back and your core. 
Yeah. So, do you have any stories of, like, a time where someone has perceived you and made the wrong perception and then acted negatively <laughs> in that way? No, not negatively, but uh, I have a kind of funny story about that. One time I was exploring Baltimore and I walked into this uh, store. I might have mentioned it in the previous episode. It was an African store called Sankofa. And I saw some cool hats <laughs> in that store. I was like, I didn't know what the hats were, but they, you know, it was gilded in this gold embroidery. It was beautiful. It was black and gold. And I bought the hat because I really liked it. And I wanted to support the store and I was wearing it for like months, right? And throughout that time I was wearing it, I would notice that people were, uh, more people were stopping to greet me and they would greet me in this like religious blessing. And the first person, maybe the second person to greet me with this blessing, I asked him, I was like, Hey man, what is that supposed to mean? And why did you say that to me? He was like, Oh, that hat symbolizes this religion. People <laughs> who uh, do uh, believe in this religion, wear that hat, so you're not part of the religion. I was like, no, I just like the hat. He was like, oh, that's really great, man. Yeah. But what my blessing was, uh, what I was said to you was, uh, I wish you all of the best blessings, brother. And I was like, wow, dude, that's pretty cool. What is it? What, what were they saying? I don't remember it anymore. It was a different Assalamu language. Alaikum? I don't know. Probably. Uh, yeah. But yeah, I got I got all sorts of uh, cool comments from this hat, and then I <laughs> felt kind of weird wearing it after a few weeks, so I just stopped wearing it. But, but it's I, a cool hat. I, it was a cool hat. Yeah, I love that hat. I feel that I had like an orange knit hat that was similar, where I guess there was a religion that um, wears that style of hat, and I would get I would also get you know <laughs> greetings of, like when people like really they they perceived it as I was a member of their of their family. Yeah, it was it's it was beautiful. It's a beautiful thing, isn't it? It feels really good. Yeah. It, uh, sorry to interrupt you, but I have a really important question regarding the same question you asked me. What the, have you worn when you wear your uh, minion suit? <laughs> how do people perceive you then? Uh, well, you got to know where you're at. So, like, the <laughs> when I wore it to my job, it made me change like immediately because it's made out of nylon and you can't have that around feet. Um. But, like, when you wear it out, if people are up on the meme game or, like, maybe they just gen genuinely really like Despicable Me, which I've never seen. <laughs> like, people are really about it. They all, like, like I've never gotten, like, a negative response about the Minion suit. And I've never even gotten, like, a weird side eye. But I feel like if I wore it somewhere that was less accepting than, like, Baltimore, Idaho, um, maybe I'd get, like, a different... A different type of response but normally the minion suit gets like a couple chuckles and then people ignore it because most of the time people don't really give a shit what you're doing anyways yeah i've noticed that people really like it i, th I think it uh makes people more comfortable yeah too. they they well like there's something to be said about people perceiving you as someone who doesn't take themselves too seriously that's true that's true like the only place where someone should take themselves seriously is if they're in a position of responsibility which like nine times out of ten if you're out in a social event you shouldn't really have too much responsibility Unless you're working that social event. And then it's not a social event for you. It's a social event for other people. Right. So, okay. Um, I know that I used to have long flowing a long flowing black mane, long hair. Oh, me too, man. Yeah. So that's definitely a change in perception. But, uh, you know, enough about that. Enough about talking about ourselves and um, how great our sense of style is. <laughs> uh, let's talk about how it applies to our art and other people's art and perception of art. Oh, I have a good story for this. Okay. So, like, 
sophomore year of art college, I was making this piece and it, it was called Table for Two, Dinner for One. And for me, it was like supposed to be an object depicting classism. So it was like a table that had two long handles, kind of like a rickshaw. And then it like didn't have wheels, but it had like kind of sled feet on it and the seat was built into the table. So for it to actually function as a table, I needed to hold up one end of it. And also to make sure that the table could stay balanced, someone needed to sit on the seat. You know, so it was like, an, like for me, it was an object of classism, you know, depicting classism. So like I was supposed to represent, you know, a worker and mm -hmm. the person sitting at the seat was someone who was like eating off the fruits of my labor, whatever. I'm making the piece and there was this girl I won't say her name, so I don't have to edit it out later, but she was like, I was having her be the the person sitting at the table because she was actually someone from like a much richer family than me who dressed that way and, you know, carried herself. She, I guess she came from like older money. So she kind of knew like how you're supposed to eat and like what type of fork you're supposed to do. So I was doing a performance piece where she was going to eat cake off this table, you know, dressed all fancy. And I was just in like a flannel and some jeans with no shoes. And I was like dragging her around the, the show space. But as I'm making the piece, she she's sitting there and like, you know, we're having a good time. And someone else in the studio turns to me and she starts laughing at me. And I'm like, what are you laughing at? And she goes, oh, haha, I get it. Like, you're making a piece about gender dynamics because you're a boy and like you're holding up the end of the table. And you think that like you have to do all the work in a relationship, but you don't get to eat at the same Whoa. table. And, like, that irritated me so much because she was perceiving my gender as, like, something that was supposed to reflect, like, the object. But then I realized that my expectation of, of her perceiving people's class status was, like, supposed to take precedence over her perceiving, like, my gender. But I remember that really irritated me because not only did she think there wasn't merit in that idea that she perceived... But then she, like, went on to make fun of me and make me feel like like I was dumb for, like, making this object that I thought, you know, I really cared about. I like, I like that story for a couple of reasons. I think the reason I like it is because she saw something differently on it. Yeah, no, I thought that, I, in retrospect, I think that's cool. Yeah, that, that means it was a great piece. And right now I'm visualizing it. I've seen it before. And it's strong because... It is meaningful in many different dynamics. So let's say that you were eating and this person was carrying the table. It wouldn't have the same message at yeah. all. Maybe you switched uh, clothing. It would be hard for you to assume that the viewer would actually know. Like, how do you, how as an as a creator, how would you be sure that that is how your audience is going to perceive it? So in your case, you decided to make sure that the person who was on the other side of the table who happened to identify as female was wearing clothing that reflected a certain social class and you did the same thing but then when gender gets put into that mix of that concept of the idea it may totally change and that is the strength of and an interesting part about art and contemporary art these days. Well, that's the difficulty you guys as interns are going to face too, if you're making art or just doing anything, is that you need to be aware of like the social climate you're in and that people are going to perceive what they identify you as, as part of, I guess, whatever commentary you're making. So I was thinking about the objects in the piece 
forgetting that people are still going to look at like, like, you know, my skin color or like, like my, my gender to also inform the piece. Um, but I was still expecting them to make assumptions about our characters based on what we were wearing. Mm-hmm. So like, it, it gets hard. Like you need to remember that like we're in a social climate that where people are going to do that. Yeah. Yeah, that's true. Um, and unfortunately, maybe fortunately in some cases that happens every day. Perception influences people's judgments of other people People look at your skin color, they perceive your skin color, and there's automatically a bias or a judgment uh, based off of that. Uh, your your uh, gender identity, people will look at you and decide for themselves what they think about you. It's, you know, it's crazy. That's, that's I think that's one of the most important things and roles that art and co- concepts in art play these days. I was on the other side of that. Not the other side. I that that hit me incorrectly and it has a number of times where like i'll meet someone and i'm expecting them to be a little like a little bigoted or something in bigs yeah like i'm expecting like you know some dude in a trucker hat who like is like clearly just like a working class american to be like racist or like not understand gender dynamics or something and then they'll totally prove me wrong and i'm always happy when i see that yeah like I was at a I was at a truck stop in Delaware with a friend and I was real nervous because I, I was the only person of color I had seen maybe for like an hour and a half and I like got out to get a pack of cigarettes and I was like, Oh no, like what if this person is gonna perceive me as some like big city person of color or whatever? And that's my fault because I perceived them to be ignorant and they are super nice, you know, no one said hurled any racial slurs at me and they like asked me they this nice gentleman told me that i didn't even need to get out of the car to pump the gas Mm. yeah that was cool then he took the car keys and he like got in the car and he drove off and i still don't know where the car is but it was really nice of him to valet (laughs) for me You va- uh, he's, he's still you're still waiting for him to bring it back the car yeah i got a big tip for him that's cool give me my fucking car back (laughs) i'm just kidding yeah. All right. Well, where do we go from here? What 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 have we concluded from objectivity and subjectivity? Natty Bow is the best beer on the planet. I don't think we're gonna get endorsed by them, dude. Yeah, I mean, <laughs> we're gonna have to switch to Natty Ice. <laughs> the other Natty. I don't know. Um, let's see. Perception. Perception. I don't know. Has has your perception ever? Have you ever perceived something and it's, like, come to bite you in the ass? That's a really good question. Um, I don't really think about that very often, actually. Let's see. Um, well, since, since, since studying in art college, I have learned that being critical goes both ways. You can be critical externally, but you can also be critical internally. And that means to me that you should be able to let things and your ideas uh, sit and go for a little bit. So, uh, you know, and that also, I guess, my training with this fellowship I did that was based off of the lens of equity and inclusion has taught me to use those critical thinking skills in a, a way that's meaningful for my work and my beliefs. So... 
I guess, I guess the major thing is deeply personal about uh, perceptions that bite me in the ass, and usually it's my perceptions of myself and my art. Yeah. So I think that it still bites me in the ass today when I look at uh, or or I'm sitting at home bored uh, and I you know I'm I'm looking for something to do and I might think to myself oh maybe I should paint right now. And I might think, yeah, that's a good idea and feel hyped about it, which is rare because usually I'm just like, nah, I don't want to do that. Like that, <laughs> that might be a waste of time. That's a good example of that. Yeah. Looking at, looking at your art and looking at your old art is like looking at pictures of yourself. You just like, either you get embarrassed or you're like, wow, like I was really on something at that point. Or like you remember, you remember something fondly. Uh, most of the time I just look at my old art and I'm like, wow, that's pretty shitty. Like I should make something better next time. See, for me, it's a lot of the times opposite is because I in vain look at my art and I'm like, man, like I used to do so much work and I had some sort of talent in it. I actually enjoyed it a lot. I, I got was so lot happy of, back then. Yeah, I got a lot of positive <laughs> feedback to it. And then I get myself into this rut. I'm like, now I feel really bad because I don't do it anymore. I don't have like, I'm going to make excuses. Like I'm not, I'm not putting forth the energy to do it anymore. And, um, I'm, you know, for the most part, I'm pretty happy these days because I still have a, a outlet for that creativity, but it still happens every now and then. I, you know, I have a bunch of paintings at home that I have hung up that I, I had a good time making, had a, a, you know, enjoyed looking at it from time to time. Um, but you know, the, that insecurity does bite me in the butt and that's a, a way of perceiving things that isn't healthy. Oh, man, I just got back on Instagram, which is, like, perception central. That's pretty much all about curating yourself in a way that other people can perceive you as, like, cooler than you are. Right, right. Marketing and branding is majorly perceptive. Yeah, it's all about perception. Like, Pepsi wants to be perceived as, like, an equitable corporation that has, you know, the common person's interests at heart. And Allstate wants to be perceived as, like, a friendly neighbor is yeah. That, yeah, that's, that's yeah, their thing. Yeah, Advertising and messaging is huge. Yeah, and how do they go? Like, they always go about... That, so, like, branding and marketing is all about... Like, it's, like, very artistic in that it's all about setting yourself up and setting up your product to be perceived in a certain way. Like, there's a reason why, even though Coca-Cola makes, you know, sodas, they use santa claus to to brand it like santa has nothing to do with sugary soft drinks but you know they use santa because you know santa gives people like a warm fuzzy feeling it feels like a gift every time you crack open that coca-cola and that's just they're trying to message to us that that's how we should perceive coca-cola i think i i, I remember seeing something about how coca-cola pretty much created our modern day perception of santa Really? I, yeah, yeah, I don't know if that's true fully because I can't, I don't remember where what the source of that was. I might have heard it in like maybe even a podcast, but I do. <laughs> <laughs> but yeah, I just think, I think I heard something about that. But but that my, my point being is that uh, advertising and messaging and perception of symbols is extremely powerful. I mean, just look at how propaganda works and how strong propaganda can be into influencing society yeah people that look at whatever it is that you want them to look at yeah you see like uh go army commercials and it's all a bunch of people working together to surmount some crazy 
uh, task they need to surmount to, you know, to trick you into joining the military in order to just, you know, contribute to our military industrial complex, which is really just a way for us to produce money off of warfare. But what they sell it to you as is you're joining a family. Mm-hmm. And you're going to become really strong. Like, look how many pull-ups you're going to be able to do after spending two years of your life somewhere else. Yeah, man. I think it plays on with uh, people's, uh, I guess, I guess humanity's need and desire for that that connection, that family community connection, the the tribal connection, if you will. Yeah. So um, people people like and feel comfortable when they are. Uh, part of a group where everyone agrees on the same thing like you know uh like football teams for example people like rooting for the same football team as one another because not only is it a way for that to be uh to 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 bring people together but it's also fun it creates that that same sense of connection that you're talking about and media is extremely powerful it might be one of the most powerful things in our society today uh look at how uh, podcasting is popping off these days look at how how youtube pops off um i think that uh i know you know the golden era of of youtube and social media before it became heavily uh i guess uh angled and, and kind of taken over by the marketing world well yeah it was pretty unique well, at, for a while the problem was the switch from YouTube being a platform for for consumers to get to creators and it turned into a platform for companies to to sell products to to people who watch YouTube so like the thing if you guys aren't familiar with like YouTube's ad marketing YouTube is no longer for people watching the videos YouTube is actually a medium through which they sell us as consumers to to advertising like to corporations so corporations are are actually the client for youtube we are no longer the clients for youtube yeah now it it, same thing just happened i mean it's been happening in instagram slowly right under our noses instagram used to be a feed for images uh and now there's these algorithms that are optimizing things for you to see what you what the these companies want you to see yeah i've been off for like crazy for like only a year and when i left i was getting an ad maybe every 20 posts i saw now i get one every three posts i see and it's for stuff that i'm like doing on my phone like i just downloaded crunchyroll to watch my favorite animes and i get on instagram and the first fucking ad i see is a crunchyroll ad which is so dumb because I already have the app, and I wish these algorithms on our fucking computers that are listening to everything we say, like I wish my Amazon Alexa, I wish that my, my Google Home, my iPhone, would hear me when I say, I already own it. Stop giving me ads for it. <laughs> I'm on Hulu, I see a fucking commercial for the same show 40 times in a row while just trying to watch some goddamn Letter Kenny, and I, I yell out loud, my girlfriend laughs at me, I'm like, I don't want to watch Shrill. <laughs> <laughs> I don't want to watch it. And I'm hoping, because we already accept that our computers and our phones are listening to us to sell us shit, I'm hoping that the computer will get the fucking message and maybe give me an ad for Empire or something. I'm cool with it. Oh, man. I don't really care. I just hate when they have so much content and so much advertising to to feed me. Why feed me the same meal every day? every 20 minutes like you have tons of commercials you're getting paid to air like air different commercials for me that's content too baby 
Yeah, it's annoying, but that to me tells me that the algorithms aren't really very complex or smart or anything like that yet. I mean, does it make you feel safer? Uh, I don't know if it's anything really about safety. I mean, people in power are going to do what they want to do either way. Yeah. You know, I'm not, I'm, I'm not going. I'm powerless to stop it. Sitting here podcasting and talking to people about nothing. Well, without so, it on. No, yeah, I'm just kidding. I'm just kidding. No, no, no. I'm not going to even do that. Yeah. Uh, but. See, I, I don't know. I guess maybe because I grew up with a, my dad was working in advertising for the Philippines for a long time, and he would do storyboarding. He was a creative director for some commercials in the Philippines, and he would always talk about it. He's like, "Oh, this commercial's coming out," and he'd just explain his thought process, like why he decided to storyboard that stuff for the commercial, and why the commercial decide like basically was what it was, and. That made me, as a young kid, think about commercials in a totally different way. Yeah. I knew right away that these things are for trying to convince people what to buy. And, you know, I, I didn't really have... Uh, I, I, I was fortunate enough to get that awareness that commercials are there to sell you stuff. Yeah. So, as a kid, when I'd watch cartoons, I'd just really ignore the commercials. Or either that, or I'd watch them in a different way. Yeah. Um, now, infomercials, that's a different story. Infomercials rule because they're they're te- they so tell funny. you. They're, like, Billy Mays was, was there telling you, like, you should buy this thing. Like, he wasn't trying to play to your emotions. He wasn't trying to, like, trick you into, like, subconsciously being like, yeah, you know what? Like, I need a I need a ShamWow or whatever the fuck you like, I need OxyClean. <laughs> OxyClean. Like, he's like, look at how good OxyClean is. You're like, wow, OxyClean is really good. And, like, to me, that's kind of, like, I'm cool with that. I don't, I don't like seeing, like, you know, Citibank pops out a commercial and it's, like, all, like, you know, really diverse cast of, like, like, this kid is, has his own paper route and he's, like, throwing <laughs> papers on everyone's front lawn and then you see him save up enough money to, like, buy, like, a Sega Genesis and then it just, like, the Citibank logo pops up. Like, that's not what banking is. Banking isn't about the hard work of a worker and then they put their money into the bank and then all of a sudden like they're happy like that's not what it is what it is is it's a place to store your fucking money and then to generate income stop trying to sell me like human emotion stop trying to sell me like like this this lie that i'm going to be happy if i use your product because i'm not and i'm not out here to become happy from using a product you provide a service and if you don't actually provide a service and stop trying to sell me one that's some pepsi ass shit right there right you know yeah. what i'm saying yeah just fucking kendall jenner walking through like a protest and then giving someone a pepsi <laughs> like that has nothing to do with the taste or quality of the pepsi but like an intentionally diverse commercial checking that race box oh dude Look apple does the same shit too it's like dude you already sell like 90 percent of the smartphones in the market like Stop trying to convince us that, oh, you know, Apple's a multicultural company. Motherfucker, you sell phones. I I was I was a lot happier back when um the commercials were silhouettes with people. I thought that was actually really smart marketing. That was really cool. Really and smart it, marketing. It was also like visually like super appealing. Like I don't know. I the change in marketing from Apple back when in Steve Jobs era to what it is now is so fucking different. Yeah. He really pushed the envelope, and I'm not. I don't know any. I don't know much about that guy, but that that see that that to me is a way to be critical about how advertising is represented and how advertising is given to you. The difference between having a really explicit commercial, for example, the Pepsi commercial with all those different types of cultures being shoved down your throat, to this company, this product, this computer that says that's trying to tell you. This computer is for everybody. Look, you now you can choose your own color of computer with this <laughs> iMac gauge. 
You can choose your own color. If you if you buy the iPod, you're gonna you're gonna listen to music anytime you want, anywhere you want. It doesn't matter who you are. We're not even gonna show what type of person. We're just gonna show the silhouette of the person dancing because yeah. that's all you need to say. That's all you need. Don't lie to me. It, I'm smart. It plays music. When you're if you wanna if you wanna make a message, if you wanna send a message, which is what advertising inherently is. Take your audience into account. Your audience has enough intelligence to decide. Don't trick us. Yeah, that's the problem with that. That's a big problem I have with advertising. Is it plays the lowest common denominator? It doesn't even know what that actually is. Like it acts like, like we earn what, money. Wait, what do you mean by lowest common denominator? Though? Like it, it plays to what, like they think is going to reach the most people. And that isn't that the greatest common denominator? No. So the lowest common denominator in math is like the lowest number oh. through which a series of numbers can all be divided by. See, that's why I'm the I'm donkey. <laughs> um, so when I say lowest common denominator, I mean they're gonna make commercials that the dumbest person can understand without actually like, which is disrespectful to you as a consumer because no one's dumb. People who make enough money, well, even people who don't make enough money, we all are alive and we have existed long enough. Like you don't need to sell a shit. And lie to us about the content of what you're selling. Just tell us what, what you're selling. And if we don't want to buy it, we don't want to fucking buy it. But well, stop trying to lie to us to convince us to buy stuff we don't need. Well, hold on. Here's here's something that just popped into my head, though. So, um, we're assuming that these, these advertisements that are unsuccessful because they are targeting people. or So, so... So do you think that these companies that are doing these these types of advertisements assume that oh god that they must think that there's a a demographic of people that are stupid enough to believe that and I you know it, it might be true yeah it might be true that, and that you know that I don't want it doesn't scare me but it, it it concerns me more so than scares me it's just like I mean, everyone I know who gets a Mac doesn't get it because they saw, like, they saw a commercial. Like, they, they know about it because of the commercial, so that's, like, the reach. But the commercial itself really doesn't sway people. It's the fact that, like, they're not computer people, and they're like, all right, a Mac's convenient. Well, I, I don't know if Mac's the best example. Let's use an extreme example. What about those infomercials of people, like, uh, let's, let's say it's a dumb product. And it's one of those products where you watch the infomercial and it's someone like, you know, the dumb people infomercial where they're like fumbling with something and they're <laughs> dropping everything and they're really just like uncoordinated. Or Do just... you carry too many fruits from your <laughs> from your fridge to the blender at a time? Well, <laughs> check out Fruit Bag. Do you not know how to use a zip uh, uh, plastic wrap and like someone's putting plastic wrap over a bowl and spilling everything over their shirt? Yeah. Like they're, they're, that means that these advertising companies believe that people are stupid. Yeah, or maybe we're so stupid we don't get that it's a joke. Yeah, or maybe we're so we think we're so smart, but we're actually stupid. Well, yeah, I mean that's definitely a fact. We're in art school, we're not engineers. Perception, boom. Is that objective that we're stupid <laughs> and think we're smart? <laughs> no, because you were able to walk up the four flights of stairs to get into this apartment. Um, I, I had to, I had to focus really hard to do it. Yeah, but my threshold for, see, like, some people measure stupidity with, like, IQ or, like, like, money or maybe, like, how well you do on a test in school or something. Oh, you're just being modest now. I think that stupidity literally comes from your ability to function and continue existing. So, like, <laughs> like, that's it. Like, that's all. Damn, that's harsh. Like, someone who gets into a washing machine or a dryer 
and turns it on or has their buddy turn it on and then doesn't <laughs> necessarily benefit from that action. Maybe, you know, you, you get really seriously injured. That's stupid. <laughs> That's a really dumb thing. I don't think someone's necessarily stupid for, like, not being able to put saran wrap on a bowl. Maybe they have low dexterity. Dude, I want to bring up something I was talking to you <laughs> off pod about Mike Tyson and people's perception of that type of person, that celebrity. Oh, yeah. I So... I want to describe to you this interview I watched on YouTube to, to the viewers. Uh, it was for the New York Public Library. The The man with a British accent, accent was a host, and he was interviewing Mike Tyson. And the first uh, thing he asked Mike Tyson, um, Mike Tyson wrote had a book out. I don't know if he, uh, how much of it he wrote or if he had a ghostwriter or, or whatever, or assistant writer. Hey, it's smart to know how well you write. So, yeah. So he uh, the host had a book, his book, and on the book, was no title. The title was on the binding, but the front cover of book was Mike Tyson's portrait front and center against the white background with a tattoo on the side of his face. And he asked Mike Tyson, he said, okay, Mike, I want you to tell me exactly what you see on this cover. And that blew my mind. It didn't blow my mind because what he asked Mike Tyson or because of Mike Tyson's answer, but it just told me two things. One thing was People judge things by their cover. People say don't judge a book by its cover because people do. Yeah. And the same thing applies for the Mike Tyson brand, person, whatever you want to call it. Um, so I'm not just saying that this applies only to Mike Tyson. I'm saying this applies to everything. Yeah, everything. And Mike Tyson is just a really good example because you... You know, you talk to somebody that knows nothing about boxing but knows that name. Yeah. And they might believe... Oh, that dumb guy uh, who had a lisp in the Hangover. The, yeah, the guy with that that guy that with the lisp. They could they could say so many things. That that guy that is people might think he's stupid. People might think he's violent. People might believe he's a sex sex offender. He might be, but is he? Uh, or like, was that is that an allegation? That, I never that was that. that was an allegation. Um, uh, his wife accused him of that. Mm. It might be true. And I that that's that's exactly what I'm talking about though. Yeah, you would you would not know until you looked into it. Yeah, until you, but people will see it and and make the assumption like, oh, that's a guy who used to beat people up for a living. Like, of course he's going to be violent in every other aspect of his life. Yeah, and that was so profound to me for them to choose that as the cover, just his face. People people know that face because of the tattoo. Most people. Yeah. Uh. It, it, the guy Look, who bit off someone's ear. The guy who bit off someone's ear. Here's Holyfield's ear, specifically, <laughs> if we have any boxer listeners in the audience. So, the funny thing in that interview that I heard was that Mike Tyson was almost... He sounded embarrassed to say it, but he asked the tattoo artist to put a bunch of hearts on his face. Hell yeah, that's <laughs> the tight. tattoo artist was like, I'm not doing that. So, he was like, alright, just I guess this tribal thing is fine. Damn, that sucks. It's like, so funny. The tattoo artist was like, no, I know your brand. You need, like, a spiky tribal thing on your face. Cause... And that's another thing, was that, like... This... You gotta look tough. Yeah, but this idea that, like, like the other... Like, the tribal tattoo is what makes you look tough. Like, even though tribal tattoos, historically, are specifically just insignia to, you know, associate yourself with whatever, whatever tribe or group of people that you're identifying with. And it's been usurped because, you know, common media perception of, of tribes in general is that, you know, they're fucking savage. 
Damn, and then dude. why wouldn't you put it on Mike Tyson's face? Because he's a savage to media. He's and all savage. Mike Tyson wanted was those fucking hearts. He wanted those likes. <laughs> we need likes. Paid.artists at IG. On Instagram. On Instagram. Dude, I just had some heavy deja vu. <laughs> heavy deja vu. That means, uh, you know, I always believe that I inherited my grandmother's third eye. Mm. That sick sense. That sick sixth sense. The sickest. All right, enough about me. Enough about the uh, enough about the smoothest podcasters, most accessible podcast on the internet. Getting back to the point. What are we talking about? So perception is really important, but you need to understand, we need to understand that our perception is only limited to what we observe. And it's very important to look beneath the cover. Mike Tyson wanted hearts on his face. I would have never known. I like Mike Tyson because that dude can punch really hard and really fast, and he's really good at it. And that takes years and years of training. You like Mike Tyson because he punches hard? Dude, the Mike Tyson fight compilations, like, it's impressive how skilled he was as a boxer. Yeah. Yeah, I got I got distracted again. Um, so, Perception, remember that your, your five senses are going to lie to you. And even if you have the sickest sense... People are still trying to sell you shit. People are still going to be different than what you expect. Yeah. Um, imagine a world where Mike Tyson actually got those heart tattoos on his face. You know? Probably a better one. So different. That's a cool timeline. Isn't it? That's a timeline where, where Elon Musk actually... Where Elon Musk is as buff as The Rock. <laughs> like this, this photoshops that people are laughing at these days. It would be really cool if he actually decided to just do that. I mean, he has enough money where he could just decide, just surgically implant his brain onto a buffer body, or just like get <laughs> get fit personal training. How much do you think Elon Musk would have to pay The Rock to let them swap heads? Here, here's a better question: How much do you think Elon Musk can bench right now? I'm going two thirty five. Two thirty. <laughs> I mean, dude. Yeah, you know. You saw him taking those big old bong riffs on the JRE. <laughs> yeah, that man's got lungs of steel. I don't know if they were bong. Did he hit a bong? Yeah. He did? Or was I, it a No, joint? it was he. No, um, I think the story goes, I don't know how true this is, but uh, I watched it. No tugs, bro. He, um, he, Joe Rogan passed him like uh, a cigar looking thing and he didn't, I don't know if he actually knew there was uh, weed in it. Because Elon Musk can't perceive the smell of weed. He's never been around it. I know, right? I know. But that was the, that was the, the claim. Yeah. Um, anyway, I don't know. That guy. That guy's something else. He's He thinks he's cool. Ugh, he's trying to, like, appeal to the younger generation, obviously, by dating Grimes, doing this meme stuff, trying to be sell, sell some flamethrowers, have some trendy names to his... Uh, Companies called the Boring Company. I think that's a good name. It's, yeah. it's kind of funny. And sending a car to space. Yeah. yeah I mean, it, it's pretty... And then using American taxpayer money to uh, to claim profits, even though he didn't. So, you know, that's a funny... Research. That's a funny thing to talk about is just um, that phenomenon of, you know, it's like when you reach that level of musk muskian success, Yeah, maybe he might be trying to regain this time he lost maybe he wants to be normal like you oh, know he wants to become yeah. like us he wants to be a dank memer yeah he wants to he wants to be back he, he wants to be his age that he missed out on when he was too busy being a, a entrepreneur making paypal 
Yeah, making PayPal, the PayPal man. Yeah. When yeah. you get mad that PayPal takes three days to give you your money, remember who to blame. Blame Mr. Musk. The muskiest. Yeah. <laughs> I bet that dude could bench, like, maybe 180. 180? Yeah. Dude, I can't even. I don't think I could bench 135. Yeah? I don't think so. You got you to gotta get on my regimen, bro. Three arm wrestles a day. Every day. Do you, um, are you an ambidextrous uh, arm wrestler? Uh, I mean, I've taken down a few lefties in my life, yeah. Do you take down their lefty with your righty, or your... I'm not lefty. <laughs> it's left to left, dude. Left to left. Yeah, it's always it's always the same arm. Uh, yeah, I know. I was just joking. I'm not. You're not. Have you ever used your your le- your foot? To I mean, somebody? I would be pretty good, but I skip leg day. Oh. I challenge any intern out there who thinks that they can arm out arm wrestle me. If you can, if you can take me down in an arm wrestling contest. Then I will, you you will get a promotion, dude. Watch out, man. Maybe Mike Tyson one day will listen to this podcast. I'll, I'll wrestle the shit out of Mike Tyson. I think, yeah, I think you can take him for <laughs> a couple seconds. Yeah, no, we'll we'll Mike Tyson. If you're listening to this, one, I love your work. Two, I will arm wrestle you if we get fifteen thousand Patreon dollars. <laughs> I will that's arm wrestle the goal. shit out of you. Yeah, that's a real goal right there. Gage will arm wrestle Mike Tyson. I will try. I will definitely go out of my way. How do we contact Mike Tyson? Um, I think if we were to actually reach that point, we would have the money to reach out to like a PR firm that could do that. That could get that set up. Yeah. 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 I would do it. I would love. I would love to interview Mike Tyson on the podcast. Hey, I'm, I'm I'm Mike Tyson. I'm here right now. No, don't do that. He's gonna kick my ass. <laughs> hey, I, I'm Mike Tyson. I just I just got in. I'm I'm here sitting with Gage. I was actually just sitting here the whole time, <laughs> and uh, I, I I was staying quiet because I was so engorged in the conversation <laughs> that uh, I didn't I didn't really want to interrupt. But I I want to say that this is Mike Tyson telling you guys that. This is my favorite podcast about uh, teaching other people what art is, regardless of your background or regardless of if you know how to do. I mean, I'm not an artist per se, but I might be a knockout artist. But I do understand that uh, art can can uh, influence many people's lives and more importantly, creativity and and my creativity in the ring kind of. Uh, applies to how how much I enjoy this podcast. <laughs> Thanks, Mike Tyson. Mike Tyson, on the next time we have you in, I would really love to hear um, if if you shave your arms, if that makes you punch a little faster. Uh, I think that the aerodynamics of that will 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 make sense. But uh, I'll send I'll send my bill to your to your producer <laughs> because I I gotta go. All right, bye, Mike. I'll see everyone later. That was Mike Tyson, everyone. Yeah, everyone put your hands together for Mike. We had to pay uh, for that few seconds. That was a lot of money. Yeah, so, I mean, we really appreciate some Patreon donations. Otherwise, we might not be able to make the next episode. Because I got to take out another mortgage. Yeah, $1. $1 gets you access to bonus content. Renz has a really sick comic book coming together about... We want to tell him about the comic book? I'll tell him a little about comic book. So my comic book is about uh, this wizard who leaves his timeline in 1200 AD because he doesn't think he's appreciated by the people in this village. So he wants to go to the future to do something else, find a different job. 
<laughs> uh, to, to, to do a different job in our time. Um, so he looks in the paper and he finds a job as a police detective. And I'm just going to leave it at that. So this wizard is living in, in 2019. He's trying to hide his powers from everybody because he uh, realizes that uh, he needs to ease into it. He doesn't want people to be afraid because that's the reason why he got kicked out or he, he, he left his original time in the first place. Uh, right now, I got this comic, uh, uh, this storyline where where in this uh, situation, he travels to the future. He's not clothed. He goes into this coffee store to uh, try to get this job because he thinks that the person who's going to be uh, giving him the job might enjoy coffee because he sees everyone drinking coffee and he's like all right well i need to make sure i get this job so he tries to conjure up this potion from the past and it's a trust potion that he wants to conjure up but he messes up and he actually conjures up a love potion and he puts it in the coffee and, and his uh, lieutenant falls in love with him so more on that behind the one dollar paywall um also like other bonus content you could see and listen to and enjoy um, at higher levels, you know, not much more for about the price of coffee, of a coffee, like 450 you can get access to all of our bonus episodes. We have four so far. Um, we have a bunch of swag for you and we're just like, I don't know, we want you guys to like us. So we're going to be, keep, we're going to keep making content. We're obviously going to put out the regular episodes weekly. And it's not just going to be us. We're going to have guests. Yeah, that's the really, the main reason um, I'm shilling to you right now about this Patreon is we want to be able to pay our guests fairly. We're going to get cool people on. Like, I know that we sound dumb, but we have cool <laughs> friends. Yeah, no, it, it's, it's really all about exposure. We mentioned accessibility earlier. We want the people that we interview to have a chance to share their art with you. Uh, and their more, perspective on art. More the better. Yeah, you guys don't want to listen to just us talking about what we know. That's not good. That's That's eventually will become objectively boring yeah my arms are getting tired from jerking myself off so much yeah i mean uh so so <laughs> pretty soon we're gonna come out with some short video clip samples of whoever we interview their studio practice oh you can see the full cut of our uh, patreon promo vid it's like 12 minutes it's really good 12 minutes wait, wait the full cut oh the, the full cut one. yeah the whole one right oh you want oh Do we still I have that yeah, we have the whole thing. Yeah, so we have the super uncut. Cut. Yeah, the uncut director's edition of that, which is really funny. We have our first and second episode where we're just learning how to podcast available on Patreon. Yeah, that's going to be entertaining because uh, we're really bad, really bad, really drunk. We've made we've learned our lesson right now. Uh, we're hitting our stride. We're getting there. We're, we're on amateur level right now. We're like about a level three. Yeah. Oh, and we don't have an outro yet. So, I don't know. If you have any good ideas for an outro or something, why don't you shoot it to our, our email, artprospodcast at gmail.com. And if you want to make an outro for us, record something. Anything. Uh, yeah, whatever. Just send we'll it to you, us. Give you, We'll give you the airtime to play whatever you want. Yeah. And also, like, we're really open to anything. You know, if you want to talk about art, I don't care if you're Cindy Sue's mom uh, and you are, like, a stay-at-home mom. I don't care if you are a contractor who, like, does graffiti in your spare time. I don't care if you un undo buttons on shirts and sew all those buttons onto other shirts. Like, I want to talk to you. Just reach out to us and maybe we'll get you on the podcast. So, uh, anything else? Speaking of bombs... I want to try to get uh, my uh, mother-in-law 
to critique some stuff. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, and she costs a lot, so contribute to the Patreon. Yeah, my mother-in-law really likes the idea. She wants to be a guest, and uh, she has good opinions. And if this is going to be the most accessible podcast, who better to invite than your mother-in-law? <laughs> <laughs> All right, this has been Art Pros from uh, Baltimore, Idaho. Baltimore, Maryland. All right, thank you guys so much. Have a good time. Have a good rest of the day. Yeah! <laughs> Yeah. <laughs>